Penny, it is so good to have you back on Unbroken. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to start with, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that increasingly people are increasingly uh, sort of releasing their trauma. Um, I view it as perhaps the increase in light and frequency. It's kind of shaking up the uh, trauma that people still have in them, you know, in their shadow. And so people seem to really be popping, right? And, and, and freaking out in, in many ways. Yeah. So being that you are a teacher of consciousness, I was wondering if you could speak to trauma and consciousness and how consciousness might be, you know, a, a way out of this. I think it is. Hands down, it, I, I, there's so many things I could say. It's like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, where do I want to start? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So consciousness is a frequency it, and it's, a, it's not just a single frequency. An individual's consciousness is the sum total of all of the consciousness being generated by all the frequencies that make up the body, the body-mind system. And there's millions, million, billions of those frequencies. So everybody's frequency matrix is just a little bit different. And you get us, you know, you get a trajectory going for that set of frequencies. And then you've got the input from mother nature and the input from parents and family and schools and the input from whatever life experiences and all of that, it's very dynamic. So the consciousness um, adds and, and, and it has some good things that happen, it has some bad things that happen. So, so when bad things happen, that is a frequency set in the system, in the big, the, the frequency set of an individual is about 20 feet in diameter. We're just this little small slice of human flesh in the middle of this big circle of frequencies. Mm -hmm. um, and some people are a little smaller, some people are a little bigger, but on the average 16 to 20 feet. Wow. So if you have bad things happen, so you, um, you know, somebody beats you or you witness a murder or you, you know, whatever it is, um, or you get attacked by an animal out of the blue, there's all kinds of things that happen. Then that is information. Your frequencies then conform to that event. They, um, you are hyper alert to all of the stuff that led up to that and followed that. And that becomes in your system, if you don't address that, face that and transform those frequencies, it stays in the system and it becomes a separate uh, region, organizing region within you. All consciousness tries to um, organize itself in order to evolve itself. So if it's a, if you have a whole bunch of frequencies that are traumatic, and you don't want to deal with those, you shut those off, that becomes a self-organizing system within your own system that then steals energy from you, um, has its own impact on you because it gives off frequencies. 
um, of its own, et cetera. So that has to be dealt with. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, and there's a name for that. Um, hang on one second. Could I ask you, would that that frequency pattern that you're describing, could we say that's uh, subconscious beliefs that get set in? Could we call it that too? You, you could. It's not a belief. It's an actual set of frequencies, but it affects your perception. Yeah. Yes. And it's not where subconscious, we're really able to be conscious of the whole thing. But we don't, we have to pay attention in the physical world to what does it take to be effective here, to learn, to, you know, pay the bills, to take care of family or the house or the animals or whatever. Um, and so we we can't focus everywhere. Any place that is not the center of focus is in what we call the subconscious. It's all available. But until you focus there, um, you know, it's once you focus there, it's in your consciousness. So, yeah, technically um, what we say is it's not a belief. It's a function within consciousness. It's just not one that you want to deal with. So, right. And what you're saying is if you don't want to deal with it, which what I would call it's in your shadow, if you're not dealing with it, then right. that thing that you're not dealing with is going to inform your thinking, your right. choices, right? Okay. That's right. Yeah. It steals energy from you, number one, because it's trying to evolve itself. Mm. And, and it's going to... Um, Everything, every kind of energy pattern is conscious and it's aware of self. So if you're not dealing with it and you're not integrating it, it's robbing you of energy for itself. So it can evolve and grow. Wow. So it's really important to deal with that. Um, in terms of, let's see, where could we go from there? Um in terms of just the idea of fixing ourselves with consciousness, mm -hmm. um, if there's a, there's an ancient ancient language called the um, sometimes called the language of the birds, sometimes called the green language. I call it the language of energy, and it is an actual language that we use when, especially when we're dreaming or when we have a, a psychic moment, um, et cetera, et cetera. But the, that language is made up of symbols. It's a symbolic library that we begin building in consciousness early in life from the moment we're born. Um, once you know how to use that language, then you know how to use energy in such a way that you can heal people. So a couple examples would be, um, uh, I had a client, this is some years ago, um, and he had uh, a brother who had died, who had drowned. Um, and I guess he was present and it was really pretty traumatic, etc. cetera. Um, so, and he couldn't get over it. He couldn't let go of the grief and he tried to bury it and he tried to ignore it and he tried to do all kinds of stuff. Um, but, um, we finally, I said to him, well, let's, let's do some guided imagery. 
Um, if you know how to use guided imagery, what you really know how to do is to use the language of energy. Since we are energetic creatures, what's important to understand is that the, the symbolism doesn't just represent um, you know, something, it contains the experience. This is why the Satanists do what they do. They know that that contains the experience and they're operating on that. Um, that isn't where I choose to go. <laughs> That's not what I believe in. Um, it doesn't have good results. People aren't happy. But uh, anyway, long story short, we started into this little guided imagery and it was short. Um, and um, you know, he ended up recovering the gift in his brother's death, which he had been struggling with since he was like 14. I think his brother was 12 or something like that when the drowning occurred. Um, and, and so it never dawned on him that there might be a gift in that for him. So knowing how to use that language of energy, knowing how to do guided imagery, is a very, very, it's a powerful way to use consciousness to heal. Another example, and this is research that is I, it's from like 25, 35 years ago. And it was some early research done with guided imagery um, in, involving the brain. And what they discovered was that people who had drug addictions or other kind of gambling addictions, or they were violent, uh, or they were already in prison for one thing or another. When they went through guided imagery, sometimes just one session, um, there was an 80 to 85, I think it was 82 to 85% rescission rate. Never did another drug, never did another beating, never did any more gambling. And the, the rate of rescission is, is pretty, or recidivism, is that what they call it? Yeah, recidivism. Recidivism, yeah. yeah that's really, um, that's pretty high when you're, because it's not that high for anything else. In fact, the, I think it's the opposite. Um, you know, 80% go back to whatever they were doing. Uh, yeah. The minute some kind of temptation comes along. So there's an energetic shift in the consciousness when you use guided imagery and know what you're doing with that. So I think that that's um, a starting point for a lot of healing, knowing how to use that language um, and to use it to great effect with great integrity. Um, so that's an option. Um, and then I think if we also understand that the development, the majority of people on the planet are suffering from arrested development. And that's pretty deliberate, I, the way I see it. Probably. Yeah, it looks to me like, like the people in charge have made sure that we did not develop the way and unfold the way that we are meant to unfold. Yes. And so if you are aware of the stages of development and where somebody didn't, you have to complete each stage successfully. When you do that, then you can um, move to the next one with a whole different perspective and a whole different skill set. And uh, when you don't complete it successfully, the next stage unfolds anyway, and now the problems begin to compound. 
Right. I would liken it to building a house with no foundation, right? Yeah. So, so absolutely. And, and yes, the powers that be, the cabal, they are very familiar with psychology. They've used it. That's why they created the Tavistock Institute, for example, right? That's right. That's and right. other things. And they used trauma mm-hmm. deliberately. You know, they created all the wars and the violence and the and, yep. and scarcity and poverty. That's a trauma too, right? It so is. They, they've come, they've just hit us with it as a human race to fragment us. Because when you're right. fragmented by trauma, like you say, now you're in different pieces and you can't have that focus to go forward. And then they also can program us easier. So like, how did so many people fall for the COVID conspiracy? Because we were so fragmented already that it's easy to program the mind because you don't have your whole thing there operating. Like you said, you said it. And I love that. Like, there's this energy over here, this unresolved trauma that's sucking away your energy for creating and evolving yourself, right? That's so right. absolutely, they did this so we would get stuck. That's, and, and we are. <laughs> we we are. are. And we are. Yeah. yeah, I think if people understood how easy it is to distract um, I often say to people, keep in mind that hypnosis is just the focusing of attention. Right. You allow somebody or something to direct your attention. Mm-hmm. That's, being, that's not being self-directed. That's being other-directed. And some people can maintain that self-directedness through hell and high water. Other people can't maintain it to save their soul for two minutes. You know, as soon as there's a distraction, they're they're right on it. But that we have to begin to understand how consciousness operates. If we want to walk out of this or walk through this and come out with more of the self, more options, um, healthier perspective, and at least, at least some of our own power. So, yeah. So... You mentioned these stages, right, that we've been arrested at. And I know from reading some of your work that you yourself have developed or you have suggested some stages of spiritual development that human beings should go through. And I agree that that we so I would love if you could give people a map of what how we if we weren't suppressed, how we might have organically developed and maybe in the coming forward will be able to do. I think, I think we'll get there. (laughs) Um, It may be some challenges. Um, I have a little chart here. I put it in the back of the evolving human. But let me just kind of read some of these. The first few are going to be very familiar to most psychologists um, or anybody who's studied psychology because I come from Paget and I used his terms. Um, There was no need to reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. and I really but he got a lot of credit for figuring out as much as he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the minute you're born, you're entering sensory motor, which means that all of your senses and all of your motor skills come into action right there. And what is the big job for consciousness at that point? So if you are successful in the sensory motor stage, your brain cells will be encoded with very specific frequencies. And when you, um, we probably can't go into how the brain gets programmed, 
um, but it's really, really fascinating. Um, and, and so what you see in that white layer that's all wrinkled up in there, mm -hmm. probably only an eighth of an inch thick, but there's layers in that tissue. And those layers are held apart by these little columns. They look like Greek pillars, in fact, mm -hmm. millions and millions of them. And from the time you're born um, and you start looking at the world, um, light or frequency of different color and sound and whatever, <laughs> smell, taste, touch, motion, action, feeling, you name it, all of that, every one of those little columns gets programmed with one frequency coming from one angle. And it stays programmed to recognize that frequency coming at it from a particular angle for the rest of your life. Okay. And if, and so you end up with this, if you're looking at um, a truck going by on the road and your little kid, you know, a year old riding in the, in the seat of the car, and you see this truck go by that's there's data that your brain is picking up right there. Um, so the brain cells are encoded for space-time reality in our world. And that the encoding of those columns is critical. It's critical and it's time sensitive. Okay. Um, learning accumulates as the encoding occurs. That is considered learning. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it needs to be linked to something pleasurable or at least non-threatening. Okay. And then um, when that happens, you will be secure. New stuff comes in all the time and you're like, oh, something new. For people that are not successful, the brain cells are encoded poorly or in a very, very spotty manner, or they're linked to stress or threat in a major way. And when that happens, learning is slowed right there, right from the get-go, you have the, the predisposition to embrace learning or to struggle with it. So, so, so basically for the, for the person that didn't get that, anything new isn't received, as you just said, oh, something new, it's received with fear and concern. That's right. Okay. <gasps> yeah, what's that? What does that mean? So they, when you have fear, what happens is you avoid separation um, from what you already know or have latched onto. So there you get the tendency for people to refuse to consider something new because they think they've got something secure right here and now. Could be the mother, it could be something else entirely, it could be their teddy bear, it could be whatever. But uh, learning becomes difficult. So that's set, as far as consciousness is concerned, between birth and two years. The next stage is mental operations. So that first stage is all really concrete. Seeing stuff, hearing stuff, smelling, tasting, touching, getting all kinds of activities. The next stage is from two to six years. And it's such a fun stage to witness. Anybody who's had little kids just sees the creativity of the three-year-old and the four-year-old. They are beginning to take all that information that they have. And now they're using that and they're pretending they're play acting using that information. And I call that um, the early programming. They're getting their data banks programmed, their image banks, their auditory banks, their sensory motor banks, 
Um, you know, all of that is being programmed. Uh, in the parietal lobe, they, we get sequencing that gets programmed in, um, et cetera, et cetera. So then that little kid goes in and starts pulling information and stuff out of those image banks and sound banks, and you hear yourself as a parent pretty accurately uh, represented by that child. Yeah. And by the way, that makes a lot of sense with the Satanists always say that if you can give them a child by the age of seven, that they can program that child. So then you just, that's, right. that's exactly the age range. Okay. That, yeah, that's, yeah, because that's the abstract period. We cycle from concrete learning to, okay, let's play with it abstractly. What can we do with this? Back to, back to concrete and then back to abstract. Okay. So that second stage mental operations, um, we, we literally draw from the image, sound, and feeling banks, and we develop the capacity to image and to imagine visions, sounds, feelings, smells, tastes. Most people, when they imagine eating a lemon, they, they yeah. start to pucker up. That's a capacity that's developed in that two to six year stage like oh I can taste that lemon mm. <laughs> so um and they are very aware of nuances and the, sometimes they have the wrong nuances little kids are so funny um you know but they're pretty they're pretty sassy so they're what are they doing they're creating uh preliminary information networks in the brain so that's all successful. When it's not successful and they can't draw from their own image banks or sound banks, then the development of the central nervous system is slowed. It literally stops growing. So uh, there's very few images stored. There's very few sounds. There's poor neural networks. And therefore, you have poor memory and perception. So... And then from there moves into the next stage, concrete operations. And that's where you practice baking cakes, making things, uh, growing gardens, doing art projects, building birdhouses, uh, learning to ride a bike, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. If you're on a farm and you're 12, you're learning to drive a tractor. Um, that's all part of the, okay, you want to take everything you've learned and apply it in the real world by 12 years old that child should be completely able to survive in the world on his own or her own. Wow. And that is not the case in our reality, is it? And no. they, they've deliberately infantilized us so that that right. isn't the case. Wow. That's right. So you end up, so if you, if you don't make it through that stage, here's what happens. You're limited to your original baby perceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, you have a limited ability to survive on your own right there. Everything about your life is threatened. You yeah. can't survive without somebody taking care of you. If that's an Uncle Sam or if that's right. a religious organization or a Jesus or a Mary or somebody, you can't survive on your own. There's so, no common well, sense. Is that where the savior idea might come from then? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So there's no common sense when concrete operations is a failure. Um, there's, mm -hmm. and children will use a single solution for everything. They don't transfer appropriately. Transfer is a mechanism in which you take something that is like 
or it's analogous to another situation and say, well, you know, this worked over here. Let's try this over here. Um, when concrete operations fails, then you have this massive, um, you know, the, the, trying the same answer over and over for everything and it doesn't work and not recognizing that. Just keep trying again. Um, these kind of children are confused by change. The world is inconsistent. They don't know how it works. And they can't cope with more than one demand at a time. So um, if it's successful, then the child uses objects and imagination freely, is secure right there. That's, um, that's the dividing point right there. Um, discovers the principle of transfer, gets organized, and copes well with a variety of situations. So 12, you know, they say 12 to 14. Um, I, you know, 14, you're supposed to accomplish or be an accomplished abstract thinker. That's not the case. <laughs> so, so the next stage, this is still under Paget, is formal operations. I think that starts at 12 and goes to 21. I have observed over and over that, um, you know, kids are already stepping out into the world, wanting to step into the world. At 12, they're already moving away from their parents. And, and at 12, they need to. If they don't have a good base, that's a disaster. Um, but they're, they try to, they're back in the abstract. Now they've learned all this stuff about how, you know, how hot does it, you have to have that oven before it'll bake that cake or how hot before the water boils or um, makes a good cup of tea or whatever. So if the if formal operations is unsuccessful, that individual will settle for the structures, the routines and the solutions that are all around him. Nothing coming from the self. Just yeah. tell me what to do. Tell me how to fix it. Tell me how to behave. Tell me what to think. Um, That's what I see out there in vast numbers. Exactly yep. that. And people, like you say, there's no fluidity to adapt or move. It's very rigid. I have to follow what nanny government tells me or this, uh, the global agency says or what the right. doctor says. And it's just, it's very rigid. Yeah, it is. And it's very non-productive. It's limiting, right. so limiting. So, you know, those kinds of people try to get by and hopefully get ahead. Um, they act impulsively and they don't assess outcomes very well. In fact, rarely do they stop to think, what might be the results of this? Right. They're just doing what they want. And they idolize one poor role model after the next. I want to be, uh, uh, you know, I want to be a cop, or that's not a poor role model. But they'll <laughs> pick, um, they'll pick people who are bad models within the what was was really a good thing, um, or they'll pick something that's not a bad role model. It's just not their path. Everybody for a while wanted to be a great football player, or everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan, or everybody wanted to be, um, you know, somebody else that was making a lot of money, a big rock star. Right. Um, and they, Hollywood people, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. And some of those are good, but you here's the thing. 
you have to move out into the world after age 12 to begin comparing what happened in my family versus what do I see happening in other families, other people, and you're comparing. And if you don't have the security from, you know, the stage before that, um, concrete operations, then you don't have any base you don't compare, you don't assess. So um, the successful person makes an effort to create his or her own structures, not settle for what everybody else is doing. Right. They attempt really complex activities and they go for massive goals. And sometimes even I go, I don't know about that. And then they do it. And I just got another letter from um, one of my clients and, and he said, I have accomplished what I set out to do. And he listed, and I remembered, you know, working with him and thinking, I, I don't know. I don't want to discourage him, but I don't, this is kind of pie in the sky. He did it. He did it. Every bit of it. So starting that's with. That's that part of us that is a creator and we can manifest anything we want. And we even have a part of the brain, the reticular activating system. That's an assist there because it helps us focus on that goal and it eliminates all the noise out of it. Right. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. So that's as far as the, the Paget system goes. But what I noticed in my work with people is that there were other stages that followed. And those stages, um, I call them, it, I actually have a couple different names, but one is um, after, it starts at about 21 years of age and it runs to about 35. And that stage is concrete intelligence, uh, I have another name for it in the book. Um, I've made some changes there, but um, I wanted something that was a little prettier name, but it's basically concrete intelligence. In other words, consciousness between 21 and 35 has to be employed to make life decisions. Now what you're deciding to do really, really counts. And there's the opening if you have made it successfully through all the other stages, there's the opening of what's called the still small voice within. And that little voice, when you start to pay attention to that, then gives you this, uh, don't do that, you know, if you're gonna make a mistake, um, or will present dreams that, that indicate where you're headed. And if you listen to that, what you discover is there's this feedback system out there that's working with me that if I listen to it, I will not make any major mistakes. So the, the person begins to develop the true spirit of the self. That's where the spiritual, uh, big spiritual journey really begins. Um, that's people are oriented to joy, to health, and they're willing to experiment with new ideas for their self. Well, I was going to be this and I'm halfway through college, but eh, I think I want to do that instead. Um, and they have the guts to say, it's not about the money. It isn't about the time. It's about the passion. It's about where my heart is at. The education has changed them. So when that, when that concrete um, intelligence begins working, 
what you discover is this is a good investment. Yep, my little gut says yes, and that's not. My gut says no. And you begin to work with that, and you apply that conscious, that intelligence um, in a very concrete way to make real-life decisions around houses, around cars, around um, people, around timing, uh, investments, all that kind of stuff. And when you don't have that, um, when that stage is, when you don't listen to that little voice, um, the spiritual development is aborted. The true spirit of the self is spiritual development. Yeah. So and would that, that be like a connection to your higher self or to God it, or because you're, you're, you're receiving guidance. So that voice is a voice of our soul, would you say? Yeah, you could say that. In other words, that what's um, what we begin to understand in the period of concrete intelligence is a that there is something out there that is alive and intelligent enough to be yeah. responding to us yeah. as individuals. The person who's going to work with that is going to succeed, and the person who is too afraid who hasn't developed, whose uh, you know, whole development has been arrested, is going to ignore that. And, and then they become basically kind of temperamental. Um, not, they don't want to be selfish, but they end up really not being able to be any other way because they don't have any trust in themselves. They don't have any trust in anyone else. So, I think it would be for these people it would be that they would experience the world happening to them rather than them creating the world. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And they, they feel like they have no voice in it. Yeah. That little voice within teaches you that you have power. Yes. Yes. And that's the missing piece in that stage of development. The taste of that little bit of power then leads to the next stage, which is formal intelligence in which you begin to explore. What can I do with that voice? What can I do with that intuition? What can I do with that uh, knowing or that understanding? Um, and that is, um, it's a stage of, we cycle around to abstract and we begin to um, experiment with thought, with, um, with psychic stuff. Well, let me see if I can see this or I can see what's happening there, or, um, et cetera. Um, so, they, so people practice inner stillness so that they can hear that voice. And the more you practice inner stillness, the more your own consciousness expands. So um, for those who are not successful during that formal intelligence, reality gets in the way of a lot of things, they're still trying to make stuff happen without risking anything, without working with the universe. You have to work with the universe. We're creatures of the universe. And they invest energy in getting power for the self. Um, and it's that just goes nowhere. It, it almost um, gives me an image of, it, it, we have this power pack, but if you can't go through that stage, you're disconnected from that power pack. So you have to seek it out here, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they and they try to keep up a good front. Mm -hmm. So one of the things about reaching power is you also reach humility at the same time. Yes, yes. If you don't have any power, then you have to maintain this front and because you, you don't know how to handle 
anything outside the very limited boundaries of you trying to behave and fit in and do all the things you think you're supposed to do. So it's, it's following the ego versus following the self or the soul. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, I don't want to bash the ego because the ego is so important. But um, when but it shouldn't run the show. That, right. When it's too narrow, then it's not good. So, um, yeah. So the person who fails formal intelligence, which runs from 35 to 50 years of age, um, reality gets in the way. Life is boring. Things are never enough. They hop from one thing to the next. Um, they blame everybody else for the things that are going wrong. They don't have any power. No power, no responsibility, no responsibility, no power. You have a to victim, in other a, words. A victim, exactly. Um, they feel harassed, often tormented, anxious, and confused. So, uh, in the, and that's in direct contrast to the successful completion of that stage, which is inner stillness learning to watch, learning to see, um, and developing a really good sense of timing. And then after 50, the abstract intelligence is the next stage that we enter into, and that's where we begin to confront truth, and that is a very concrete stage. Um, there's a deep sensitivity and inner joy in people that are successful with this stage. They experiment continuously with a very fluid awareness, um, they experiment with self-transformation. What can I do with myself? How can I be better? How can I give more? How can I? How can I? Um, they experience an expansion of their boundaries, and they discover joy and good health. So that's a pretty good payoff. And in people who have reached that stage, they're 50 and up, there's a deep disappointment if they're failing to, to evolve into that stage. Reality becomes unattractive as the body becomes unattractive. And after 50, the body starts to go down for a lot of people that haven't been successful at taking responsibility for themselves. Um, and then they, they grieve the loss of their youth. They cry over the fact that they're getting old or they're getting fat or they're getting wrinkled or they're getting slow or whatever. Um, they feel tired, old, and discouraged. When sickness and disability occur, which they often do after 50, unless you do renewal, regeneration, um, and then eventually they forget who they are, and um, they end up, you know, in cases, in many cases, in dementia, um, and abandon the body long before it's dead. It, it just goes on automatic. Sort um, of give up. Yeah, they give up. And then there's a stage after that, but it's only for those who have passed all the stages successfully. And that's a stage of transcendence. So, um, and it's a stage in which you know your power, you use your power and you are committed um, to love and you nurture, you cultivate that love. So um, yeah, that's kind of, a kind of a quick gloss over of all the stages. But um, there's much more explanation in the, um, in the later chapters of book, chapter 24 and 25, I think. That's a great summary, though, because, I mean, the, the idea here is that we're meant 
to progress, to build on ourselves more and more and more. And so when things are inserted that uh, stifle that development or, you know, we get stuck, we can't achieve the fullest potential of who we are in this body on this planet because we came here to be a part of transitioning things and changing things right and so yes it makes people in ineffective and you're just you're on the sidelines now you're not you're not in the game anymore that's right that's right and the gift that each person brings doesn't happen the gift is never given yes and i think that's tragic it is tragic and it's yeah. been deliberately set up this way, though, right? So I think it has, and even if it hasn't been, I'm going to say, planned out and, you know, deliberately set up, which a lot of it looks like it has been, um, at least for the last couple of decades. But even when it's not all planned out, there are almost always going to be people who are really good at looking around and saying, eh, you know, I think I could take charge of that. And they do. They become strongmen and they run roughshod over everybody else and demand all kinds of uh, alms <laughs> for, you know, just for their protection. They offer protection and they're the biggest threat. So it's it's a crazy, it's, it's a crazy um, kind of way to run a reality system. But I'll tell you what, it teaches people that you are responsible for what you create. And you will live with what you create or fail to create. And that's the bottom line right there. Yep. And, and that's actually, to me, that sounds like freedom, right? Because if we can be there, yes, there's nothing holding us back. And it's, yeah. it's so people resist this. Um, and yet that keeps them yeah. living a very miserable life, right? Yeah, it does. And I think... Um, Let's go back to the idea that people can learn or be split and programmed, reprogrammed. Um, you know, the, the learning, I hear a lot of people say, I'm too old. I'm too old to go to school. I'm too old to learn. I'm like, no, you're not. Um, you just begin to learn how to learn typically when you're around 35 to 40. So the, the thing that I think is important for people to understand is look at the change in consciousness that has happened in you from the time you were three years old versus where you're at now. What's happened there? Are you aware that consciousness expands massively from that three-year-old? Why quit when you're 50 or 60 or 70? Why quit at all? The goal is an expansion of consciousness into wisdom, grace, and power. That's where we fall down, right there. And and you mentioned it, that that culture of youth, you know, so people that haven't achieved that stage, you you see it out there, they, they dress younger, they get plastic surgery, their whole life is about looking younger. Right. But the, one of the things that I appreciate about, you know, I'm going to be 58 in a month, um, is that wisdom and that life experience that I've oh, accumulated. Yeah. And I am so much happier now and so much better than when I was 20. I would never want to go back no. to that age. Me either. Me either. And, uh, you know, 58 sounds kind of young to me. But... <laughs> it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But I so appreciate that because that's how I felt 
after Kundalini occurred, and you know, a ton of input and these realizations, what left and right, I couldn't wait to be 50. I knew instantly that I was surrounded by people who were who didn't get it. They were 25 and 35, and I was right in the middle there at 31. Um, and they were not interested in wisdom, grace, and power at that stage. They were interested in all sorts of what I called really shallow kinds of things, um, things that didn't satisfy the core self. And that really bothered me. So I was anxious to get to 50 and then 60. And uh, when I hit 70, it was like, okay, we could stop here, but of course we're keeping going. So, um, and I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all because I'm busy experimenting and exploring with what can I do with the second half of my life? Yeah. So, and, and I, I under, I know that the cabal has, uh, you know, messed with our genetics and reduced our lifespan. And I suspect it's because we need that time to develop ourselves, right? We do. So, and then they, they, the culture is that when you're old, you're done, you're thrown away. You're, yeah. You have no use. So they're shaving off the fact that that's the stage when you acquire the highest wisdom, right? Right. They don't want that. They no. don't want that. They want young people who don't know. There's a old saying about not knowing your rear from a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, they want those young people who don't know their rear from a hole in the ground. And that is, they're easy to manipulate. They're easy to fool. Yeah. Yeah. So I would imagine that even, you know, because I would say most people's development has been interrupted one way or another, yeah. right? But we can heal from this. And sure. um so one thing that pops in my mind is when, you know, I experienced a lot of trauma growing up. And so I didn't have basic attachment with my mother that was uh, deliberately severed, right? Right. So when I went to into therapy at some point, and I had a therapist, I noticed that I was able to build that thing that I didn't get with that relationship. Yeah. So it was like I could put the foundation in, I mean, a little later than I should have, right? Right. But yeah. we can do that, right? We can heal and we can get ourselves back on that path. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. When Kundalini occurred, I had not passed through any of those early stages successfully mm -hmm. at all. None of them. Okay. And I spent the next 17 years going back to those early years and working my way through one after the next until I had successfully completed all of them. And that was a piece of work. The, the amount of work that you end up having to do on yourself is uh, it's astounding, but by gosh, it's worth it. It's so you can go back and reconnect all sorts of things. Um, and build new foundations. You have to, otherwise you can't evolve. You need new foundations for everything. And we are going through right now a paradigm shift. I think it's a major paradigm shift. We, um, we've started with the, what is it? The great clockwork, um, the great machine, the mechanistic mindset, the, the world is like a giant machine. Well, that worked 
for quite a few years. Um, Descartes and some of the other scientists and physicists were all like, oh, wow, yeah, this is the perfect analogy for life. Well, we've outgrown that. And so now we have the, the comments and the statements of uh, Sir James Jeans, for instance. And I had, actually, I had a quote here. He said, um, the world is beginning, the more he was a scientist and a mathematician in the early part of the 1900s, and he worked with Arthur Eddington, um, both of them said, it's, you know what, consciousness is fundamental. It, this whole reality derives from consciousness, not the other way around. Right. It, it isn't the material producing consciousness, it's consciousness producing the world. That's right. And I think we have, that's the shift that we're finally making, the paradigm shift from the great clockwork to the great thought, because that's what genes... Quantum yeah. physics has, and the, that uh, dual slit experiment has validated that, that it's the yeah. consciousness that creates the particle, right? Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. that reminds me of the part of your book that I read where you kind of describe that a little more. You say uh, mind is the location aspect of space, and you have sort of a map of that. I'd love for you to share that uh, so people okay. can have an understanding. Okay, so that actually started out as a mathematical challenge. The great mathematicians of the world have said something like this, I'll paraphrase. We all have read stories of or heard the tales of the great saints and the great mystics who say uh, there's this place of absolute utter silence and bliss. So, and that that's the basic reality. So if that's the basic reality, what the heck is this messy, noisy thing that we're in <laughs> called life? <laughs> so that's, they said, until we reconcile those two things, we will not be able to move forward in our understanding of life or the cosmos. So I, you know, being interested in science was always reading and listening to those kinds of things. And the first time I heard that, I thought, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> it was one of those moments where it's like, well, yeah, when you have had as many Kundalini experiences as I've had, in which you enter into that great silence, mm -hmm. and then you come out of that and back to your everyday world, there's a process that you go through that is the same every time. And that process is you're in that bliss that where it's absolutely black. There's these billions of little pinpoints of light and that's it. There's no sound, there's no form, there's no world, there's no you. Um, there's just this incredible consciousness called the I am and mm -hmm. everything is not moving. It's absolutely still. And, and the bliss is enough to to keep you there. <laughs> we'll say it like that. It's an extraordinary bliss. And then what you see as you start to come out of that is like these big uh, waves of cloud-like material. It's like a frequency that looks like a cloud and it'll be a color. I remember the color, the first two colors I saw were pink and green. Um, and that 
and then that is then accompanied by all of a sudden a whole bunch of other motion. Um, and then that motion is accompanied um, or followed immediately by particles that um, you're aware of, of yourself reassembling as a bunch of particles and frequencies and, and then into a, your usual pattern and then you're yourself again, you're back in the world. And when you, um, when you transport yourself, when you teleport yourself, and with great in intensity, um, teleportation happens with great intensity of consciousness, and you land in the other place, wherever it is you're going. Um, what you see, what, what your consciousness is aware of, is you're in this um, other place, but all that you see is first the outline of the space, kind of looks like the outline you see in a coloring book, huh? two-dimensional two outline. And it looks like um, pixels are forming that framework. And then um, the pixels begin to fill in the, the you know, um, walls and the space and the floors and the ceiling. And, um, and then the room fills with whatever it is you um, are gonna see, the shape of whatever's in the room, furniture, let's say. And then, um, color is added and the last thing is it all comes alive and that happens very quickly but if you're paying attention you can see that the framework the filling of the framework the color and then the life added to it and so um what i realized is that that's that's that move from um you know from the great stillness to this messy wonderful noisy crazy world that we live in um and so i just um mapped out those stages and and then when i was working with dr levengood um what we realized was that that it was plasma physics that was like oh, i was right that was a big surprise but those stages are first um, and you said it just a little bit backwards. Mind is the awareness property of space. Okay. And space is the location aspect of mind. And there are two sides of one coin. Awareness and of, of location. I am here in this place kind of thing. Um, and it's that capacity that gives us the ability to exist as an independent but, can I say it like that? An independent location within space. And your name is your location address. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for me to find people if I have their name. Wow. So, um, so I like to look, I like to explain things in many different ways because some people understand differently. So could right. we say that that stillness, that void, you could also call that source God. And, yes, and, it is. and then and that, that trajectory is from that totality to a little individual Penny Kelly in form, which yep. still contains this, but is now in a different expression over here. Yeah, it's, um, it's really, um, I wouldn't say it's a different expression. It has been added to. So let's, um, let me go through the stages just a little bit. So you have this absolute utter silence and bliss. And then movement starts, motion starts, frequency. Frequency appears. Um, and things start moving. Frequency produces particles. 
and the the particles end up in patterns and the pattern could be a bird it could be a dog it can be a human it could be a car whatever um and and that so you're you're still in source that's the core um, but you have now added all of this other material that has accumulated. It happens very quickly. So you can never say miracles are not possible. I think it's a miracle that we exist, yeah. <laughs> period. Um, and yes, that source material is, you become very aware that that is God. And so that's what you're made of. That makes each individual a potential God in the making. Yeah. And with your Kundalini experience, you were able to go backwards to that, that stillness. Yeah. And some pe people can do that through meditation or other means yep. too. And so you can, you can still be you, but you can connect back to that. Well, you connect into that. Or into that. Yeah, exactly. And that's what sustains you. And that's where the love comes from. That's, that's the power pack that, that yeah, that, right? That drives <laughs> us. I like that term. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, and it's really, uh, it changes you. One taste of that degree of love and bliss, you're forever different. I have one toe in that all the time. Mm -hmm. It steadies me. It, you know, anchors me. Um I live in a pretty much a state of bliss most of the time and, and great love. And you learn to nurture that along the way, little things. Um, life becomes such an amazing, we're, we're bearing witness to this amazing life. Yesterday, um, there was a butterfly in my kitchen and it was on the window. And, and I, I said to her, well, what are you doing here? And immediately realized it wanted out. So... You know, I got a cup and a piece of, uh, you know, the cardboard from it. Yep, yep. And, you know, we took it outside and said, good luck, fella. Um, yep. And away it flew. I do that myself. That's funny. There was a, yep. there's a fly that flies in the house and you know how they go at the window because they're trying yep. to get out. So I right. say, oh, you want out? And I put the glass and the piece of paper and then I release it to the outdoors. Yeah. 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 I think... Um, we a little story. I I have a big place, and one of the back bedrooms. Um, somebody came up to my office one day and said, "There's like five thousand big black flies in that back bedroom." And I went back there. Was like, "Where did those come from?" And I stood there for a minute and said, "Okay, guys, you have five minutes to get out. I don't know where you came from. I'm going to open the door, which was out in the hallway, and uh, and you leave." Otherwise, I'm going to take care of you. And I went away. I said, I'm going to go away. I'll be back in five minutes. Came back and there were like two flies left. They had all exited. Yeah. Um, and we don't bother to communicate with nature. We act like it's not listening. And it is. Yes. And we, that's a mistake on our part. We then end up struggling or, oh, you know, I was attacked by all these flies. No, you weren't. <laughs> they for whatever reason, they got stuck in your back bedroom and they just needed a message. I will often say to a single fly, um, I'm, come on, I'm going to the door. I'll hold the door open. You go out. Sure enough, follows me right over there and flies out. 
Yeah, so. I, I've, I've done that many times too. And yeah. I, with bees, right? There were some bees flying around me and right. I said, sweethearts, um, I don't want you on me. You know, I don't right. mind if you're around me, but don't, don't touch me. Okay. And they yeah. don't. No, they don't. They have no desire to be, um, you know, if you're not attacking them, they typically aren't going to attack you. So, so and then, that's a way of being. It's a way of doing life. It so. would be, we would, we would call this communication telepathic communication, right? And yes. we all are endowed with this ability. It's just shut off and probably distorted with that being stuck at those developmental stages, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I've been teaching for a long time and it's just been in the past maybe five years that I have begun to see that the lessons that I taught students are, are they're putting them to use. It's the best feeling. <laughs> and an example of the other night, I'm um, doing a, a recording or a live stream or something. Um, and the, there's this massive, massive storm. And I, I, the rain and it was for hail, big hail was forecast. And I'm in the middle of this, um, you know, thing, this YouTube thing or this uh, Zoom thing. And I couldn't leave. Um, and one of my students just happened to text me and said, I saw that there was big hail headed for over your farm. I talked to it. I think it's better. And sure enough, we never got a single bit of hail, but we did get rain. And afterwards, I thought, that is so wonderful, so thoughtful. Why don't we all talk to the weather and say, be careful, <laughs> you know, gently now, guys. Tribal peoples would talk to the weather. I mean, that's yeah. what a rain dance is, right? It's saying, please, we need some water. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I have had lots of experience with that. Um, and the elements, that's part of my little circle. Um, I, I think we would begin to be able to walk past some of the trauma that's out there if we could reconnect with that young self and get through um, developmental uh, stages a little more quickly and reconnect with that power within the self. You can begin using stage seven power, even if you don't have um, all the stuff that you might need or that might have benefited you. Um, you can go back and begin healing and repairing. So I tell people, try stuff, try stuff all the time. I think I said that the last time we talked. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a, if we could just develop a sense of presence um, in the reality that we're in, then I think the reality would shift very, very quickly. You've so. even, to something I had not thought of or, or really uh, related to, but you said is that would even extend, that communication with everything around us could even extend to like our, our car, right? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. say something about that, because that was a new piece of thinking for me. Okay, so everything is alive. Everything is conscious. Um, I think that we don't think that way. We say it's inanimate. It's not. 
If it exists in this world, it's alive. Now, it may not have the kind of consciousness that we have, but it's still conscious. And when it has an opportunity to relate to someone who's awake and aware and is talking, it learns to communicate. So that's a really important reality is at our fingertips. And what are we doing? We're, we're trudging along and um, playing poor me and not really seeing uh, the kind of excitement that is at our fingertips. I have a rock that I've had in my living room. It's, it's a big thing and I've had it for a long time. Um, and it communicates. That's why it's in my living room. It's one of the few rocks that I walked past it and it said, hey there, um, take me with you. And I was like, you're too big you know, to take anywhere. But I managed to pick it up. It's very big and it's heavy. Um, and it's every so often it'll say, uh, put me outside. I need some sunshine. Or put me in the rain. I need the rain. But it communicates. Yeah. Um, and every, everything, cars, um, I had a car that it was named Mary Jane. Give your car a name. <laughs> so, you know, Mary Jane, I eventually sold her when she was 10 years old. And, um, and the guy who bought her up in Wisconsin said a couple years later, that car is still going. And we haven't done anything except change the oil and buy new tires, etc. It, so, um, it makes me think of, you know, uh, in, in more advanced uh, races where there's space travel. And so the, the space craft is really an extension of the person's own yeah. self and body. So that makes sense to me in that way. Okay. Yeah, it does. And that's really, really true. When you have in, increased a, met a metal's capacity to hold energy, it begins to communicate. It begins to relate just like it's another person. Yeah. So we, wow. the, we have a lot to learn. Um, you know, we have a lot to learn about other races and, and the amazing technologies that they have. And right now, what we have is a whole lot of fear about AI this and AI that. And um, we, we really need to educate ourselves about AI. We need that to progress. We can't progress without some of the technology to go with it, um, but we can't rely on that technology as if we don't have any power and it has all the power. Right, right. That's very well said. And you know, Penny, I've always, uh, I have your book uh, from Soil to Stomach. Oh yeah. And, uh, I, I haven't read all of it, but you have a lot of experience with food. And so as we were talking about these other things and the fly that you're communicating with and the rock, what about food? And how does that yeah. interact with our bodies and our ability to have a higher consciousness? Um, that is an amazing relationship waiting to be discovered, the relationship with food. Food is intelligent. Um, so I'll say a couple of things. For instance, when you plant a garden and you walk through that garden on a regular basis, three, four times a week, the, the energy field that you are washes over those plants and that plant, those plants, their purpose, and they will tell you this, our purpose is to support you, is to support um, animal and human life. That's our big goal in life is for you to 
um, you know, to pick us and bring us into yourself. And we can share the consciousness that you have. It's a huge, I'm going to call it leap or shift in consciousness for them to be taken up into a human body and be part of the consciousness of the human. That's their big goal. Okay. So when you are wandering back and forth in your garden, those plants are assessing your energy field and what's missing and what's wrong and what needs to be strengthened, et cetera, et cetera. And so that plant then adjusts its frequencies and chemistry to fill in what you need. Wow. And then when you eat that, you get all sorts of oxones and passiferins that nurture your ability to be resilient. Oxones increase your ability to uptake the nutrients in the food. Passiferins provide protection against strep and staph infections. And it's, it all comes from the soil. So um, when you eat food from South America, somebody else was tending those plants or nobody was and uh, just machinery. And that food is not as intelligent. And when you do, <laughs> I forget what it's called, but um, you can take the juice of a vegetable and you can drop it on a spinning uh, disc, that paper disc. And it's on a spindle and it's spinning very, very quickly. Oh. And what you get is in a healthy food is this extraordinary, just beautiful pattern of intricate, it looks like a mandala, extremely intricate, intricate mandala. Um, and if it's not a healthy vegetable, what you get is one or two rings. That's it, no detail. Um, and, and what you see um, in, in the dried results of fruits or vegetables or even meats, um, is the evidence of how complex their frequency structure was, which is their information. So food is an information system for the body. So the plants that you grow are going to adjust themselves to make you as healthy as, as you can possibly be. Even if the soil is poor, the plant is going to do its best. Um, when you restore the soil um, or and you use you know really good water um, that's it has an amazing effect on consciousness so you eat that food and the consciousness blossoms um, the food has to have the forces I think people need to understand that food is frequency that you're putting in the body and consciousness is frequency. So if you're eating dead food yeah. with no frequency in it, the consciousness slowly, um, it deteriorates. So dead food would be genetically modified food, fast food, processed food, foods that basically have been killed, as you say. I mean, I like that. Yeah. And it's food that is also grown in soil that is dead. You have to have living soil in order to get, um, and the soil has to be remineralized in order to get really super nutrition. That's 
part of what we need to become aware of how far down the you know the soil system has gone i think it was 19 in the 1950s maybe something like that um congress in the u.s commissioned a worldwide study of soils because soils have to have at least oh my god is it 12 percent or 25 percent um, of, of certain nutrients in it, nitrogen, in order to produce food that will support life. So I think this was in the early 50s. It had already fallen to like four or five percent. That repeated, that study was repeated maybe 10 or 25 years later, and it had fallen to between one and two percent. Oh dear. So we are losing people. I mean, the cabal, you'll hear them say, oh, we're gonna reduce population. Um, I don't know if they would have to do anything. We are losing population right now. We are not able to reproduce at the level that we need to be able. We have to have at least 2.1 children per woman on the face of the planet in order to sustain the um, humanity, the, the, the kind of people that we are. And every civilization is an experiment. Um, you get seeded, you, the, the people who do the seeding hope that you're gonna survive and, and evolve to become a member of the community of a particular solar system, to join the community of people who are not tethered to a planet and we're no longer there right now. Yeah. No, yeah, we have dropped. I think it was uh, in. So this is nine or twenty twenty two. So I think it was in nineteen sixty. We were producing five children per person, mm -hmm. and so that was then picked up and carried forward. Oh, we're going to overpopulate the planet! Oh my God! Well, as urbanization took place and population started aging and all kinds of other factors. We are now at a point where we, we do not have enough yep. women able to produce children um, to sustain the human race. Yeah, I mean, that's been, there's been a deliberate reduction of fertility uh, yep. over the decades that I've been alive. I've seen it. Um, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know, um, you know, I used to live in, I grew up in many different countries. And for example, in Italy, yeah. they have negative population growth. There is no more growth. And so they're trying to offer people money to have babies. So, and I, I my understanding, that's all over Europe and yeah. actually maybe all over the world. We're absolutely not. So not only is there no overpopulation, we're actually failing to keep up. Right. And here's the thing, um, research has shown that when a population drops below 2.1 reproductive capacity, they never recover. We are now below 2.1 on the planet. So with what you were saying about food, you know, I remember uh, a long time ago reading the work of uh, Dr. Emoto and his uh, research on water, right? Right. Yep. And so I was, and so based on that, you know, I was thinking, 
Water in its natural state, it goes over rocks and it flows and it's what's called structured, right? And it's yeah, that's right. that way. Yeah. And so I don't know, but my imagination says that when you take water and you put it in a tiny pipe, that probably kills the water itself, just like the food right. can be killed. So yeah. the water can also be killed. And yeah. one thing that I try and do because of that is like when I shower or when I'm drinking water, I talk to the water. And uh, I, I ask it, you know, I say, thank you for hydrating me and nourishing me. And yeah. so can we interact with water and food and, and elevate it through our own consciousness? Yeah, we can. So that you're touching on something that I'm really pretty passionate about. So we can talk with water. We can get plasma tubes. See this little tube? I don't know uh -huh. if you can see that. It's embedded right in the fabric. Uh -huh. That's a plasma tube. It has plasma water in it. That keeps this water alive. Um, that's an option. Um, when people used to um, say grace before meals, yes, that's what they were doing. They weren't praying to some God. They were talking to the food. Yeah. And they were asking, they would put their hands over the food for the purposes of this is who you're nurturing, Mr. Carrot and potato and whatever. Um, and let that energy of the hands soak into that. And then you would sit back and you would have, uh, you know, like a glass of wine or a glass of water or something for five or 10 minutes, because that was the threshold of time that that food needed to adjust itself for your energy system perfectly. And we... Okay. We stopped doing that when the church came along and said, no, you're, you're thanking God for this food. Um, so we stopped the communication with the food. Um, we don't talk with the water. And so here's just a couple of little factors. The Romans knew that you could not put water in tubes. They made sure that it came down from the mountains, you know, and tumbled through these long troughs made of rock. Um, and that, that was really important. Why don't we know that? So we're moving into a whole new paradigm and everything is falling apart. And I'm going to say this, it's probably going to sound terrible. Let it fall apart because the whole world needs to be re-engineered. We make windows that block out certain UVA rays. And the UVA rays are the ones that are healthy for us. UVB is not as healthy, especially if the UVA is missing. Why are we developing glass that blocks out UVA? Why aren't we engineering just the opposite? Why aren't we engineering new water delivery systems that keeps water alive? Why aren't we figuring out how to grow food in a high frequency zone so that food is has access to high energies and that energy then ends up in the food. Um, why do why are we using 60 cycles per second, 120 volt electricity when that interferes with cellular meiosis or splitting in the cell? Um, why don't we use, you know, <laughs> something a little above or below that that's in harmony? Because what we learned. Um, what with plasma physics is that, for instance, if you're adding energy to a system and you're two centimeters away, that's positive add. 
If you go up three centimeters, that's negative. If you go up to four, that's positive. If you go up to five, that's negative. And so it alternates. What we there's so many things that are basic that need to be re-engineered. Yeah. Um, that we should we should could be looking at what's coming apart and saying, well, maybe that's for the best in the long run. Yeah, because the why that you're asking, the why this, why that, is because it's this reality has been specifically designed to create harm, injury, suffering, and death. So, of course, it's completely backwards. And so what you're saying, and I totally agree with, is that paradigm, which is really designed to create, you know, very limited human beings that are easily controllable and create basically a hell on Earth, because that feeds the people that run this planet, that paradigm needs to die. These structures need to collapse so that we can go forward and do things the, the more, much more common sense, yeah. good way that actually assists us all, right? Yeah. And a whole life on this planet. Right. Yeah. I've known for 40 years that you can run a car on water. Why are we not doing that? Um, there are other things about electricity that I know of that are too complex to get into here, but why aren't we using some of those systems yeah. instead of what we've got? And I know why. It's all what you just said. Um, so the whole thing needs to be rebuilt, yeah. um, updated. We need updating. We need to regenerate our world. <laughs> yes. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you again, Penny, and have you here on the show, because you are someone who has put out a lot of great information as mm -hmm. to how we can start this new paradigm up. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really, uh, an, it's astonishing to me how many fields you, you know, you're a naturopath doctor, you have engineering experience, you're a consciousness researcher. So and, and you're, you've got a lot of experience with farming and food. So yeah. I would encourage everyone to go uh, look at Penny Kelly's website and her work and, okay. and educate yourself because you, Penny, have given a lot of solutions for how, to, how do we restart this process. Yeah, I'm, I get really excited about that restart and what's going to be possible. And we're close to um getting to that you know where it's all down and and yep. we we have to get through that <laughs> i don't think it's going to be as bad well i think the next six months is going to be kind of rough but then after that it looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel yeah and that is very heartening it's like okay you guys use the summer to sort of gather your strength and and get your consciousness set to get through um, all that stuff that used to have meaning maybe doesn't have as much meaning as you thought it did. Um, it's the meaning that you assign to things that is critical. You know, yeah. give stuff new meanings. And and that 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 troublesome time that that those structures really it has to be a death before the rebirth, right? So yeah. we have to have some space for the collapse and maybe a little bit of turbulence here, but with the knowing that that has to happen so that we can rebuild and go forward in right. a new way. And from my you know perspective, I always tell people the most important thing you can do is yourself. Work on yourself. Right. Yes. Because if yeah. we all do that, that new thing happens a lot faster. It does. It does. And I think it's really heartening 
once you begin to see, oh, I did that. You know, you begin to get a little taste of your own wisdom, a little taste of your own power. Um, you begin to implement the common sense that you put aside because it didn't fit the reality that somebody was trying to shape. Um, all of that. And it's, it's wonderful once you begin to move into that kind of world. And we're moving. We're moving there. So don't give up. That's right. Thank you so much, Penny, for coming on here today. I really always so much enjoy your wisdom and talking with you. And so uh, I'm going to hope maybe at some point we do a third one. Okay. Yeah, I would be happy to do that. I think there's plenty of what I would call um, nurturing that needs to happen uh, over the next six months. And so I think it'll be obvious what kind of nurturing that is. Um, but it's probably going to be mostly ideas about, okay, um, this is where this is going. Um, let's try to get it there. Good, yes. good stuff. Good and stuff. thank you for your work uh, in, on behalf oh, of yeah. humanity. Uh, I like people. I love people. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Penny. Until next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.